Welcome. You're listening to The Aligned Self, conversations in creating a conscious and abundant life. This is Daniel DeNovi. I'll be your guide and host. Let's see just where we can take this. Hello, friend, and here we are continuing the conversation on mastering your emotions. This is part two. If you haven't yet listened to part one, which is episode 110, I suggest you go back there and listen to that first, because frankly, this won't make that much sense if you don't listen to the first part. And just a reminder, before we get started, I did create a cheat sheet, a worksheet that you can get at yesdaniel.com backslash 89. The link is in the show notes, and if you download that first, it might be easier to follow along. That is, if you're not driving your car. So without further delay, here is the second part of Mastering Your Emotions, Honoring Your Emotions. Now the next step is where it gets interesting, at least it does for me. So the event was Janet missed a deadline. So in me completing on it, what need or want went unfulfilled? Now, in the example that I gave in Janet missing a deadline, the need that I had that went unfulfilled was to trust her. I needed her to fulfill on that agreement because I had other things in motion, other things in place that depended upon her completing her agreement. And now here's the second question that goes along with that. Because Janet missed the agreement, missed the deadline, what did I make that mean about me? Well, if I look underneath the anger, the feeling that's there is that I don't matter. My wants and needs, my agenda just didn't matter to her. And if I dig a little deeper, what's there also is a feeling of being betrayed. My trust was betrayed. And that brings us to the next question. Is my perspective the ultimate truth? Is it the only possible explanation for why things occurred the way they occurred. Well, there's probably an infinite number of reasons or rationales that could have happened. She could have had a technical breakdown. She could have lost everything on her computer and was not able to deliver like she said she would. Perhaps she broke her leg. Maybe her children are in crisis and she had to attend to them. Family emergencies. Maybe she's in an accident herself. Maybe she's in the hospital. I didn't check in. I just got angry because the work wasn't completed. And as I consider more and more possibilities on why things didn't happen the way they happened, suddenly it's not about me. Or at least it creates a lot of doubt that it had anything to do with me whatsoever. Now, obviously, there are some things that I have to handle, some things I'm, some adjustments that I need to make. And that brings me to the next question. What can I do about it? Where can I take action? You see, every emotion that comes up is energy in motion. So the purpose is not to fester or wallow in the anger, the disappointment, whatever comes up. It's to move through it and reach a point where I can take some action. Now, I cannot control Janet. I cannot control her actions. I can control my response to her actions. I also have to admit that nothing can be changed about that scenario. Once something happens, it's happened. 
You see, nobody can, shoulda, coulda done anything other than the way they did it, because if they could have, they would have, and if they didn't, they didn't. So in that realization, the next step is to accept it, accept the circumstances. Then assess damages and exercise damage control. What do you need to put in place? What actions do you need to take in order to minimize the fallout from what happened? And again, you're not assessing blame. You're not pointing the fingers. The project did not get completed on time. And so there's consequences. You just deal with the consequences. You don't get angry about it. You just handle it. And part of handling it is in hindsight or in reflection. What practices, what safeguards do you need to put in place for next time so this event doesn't happen again? Again, you're now exercising control when this first happened. You are at the effect. You are at the impact of somebody else's actions or inaction. So now I can put in place an action plan for the future. Again, you can never should have, could have done anything other than the way you did it. But the next time I can put in benchmarks, checkpoints. In the context of my example with Janet, I could have her check in with me a week out from the deadline, three days in, just tell me how you're doing. Is Are we going to be on time? Any adjustments we need to make? That way, we can be proactive. If I need to get her help, I can do that. And what's important is this, this isn't me not trusting her. It's me trusting her to do the job, but I hold her accountable for her word. Also contained in my action plan is a contrary idea to the assessment that I made on the front end of this, that I was not enough or that I wasn't valuable enough or my position was not valued. By me holding her accountable, I reinforce the idea that my intentions, my expectations are important. And her agreement to my expectations are also important. Her word is important. So the action plan is what behavior, what actions need to be in place to invalidate the idea or the assessment that you came up with on the front end. What does this mean about me? Like it's the undertone, it's the feeling underneath everything that happened. After the dust clears, this is the feeling I was left with. I'm not enough. I'm not important enough. I'm not being respected. You know, all of that. Now, before I sum all this up, I do want to clarify a couple things. Typically, these feelings of anger, frustration, depression, sadness, all those are centered around fear. Happiness, joy, satisfaction, all those are centered around love. So essentially, every emotion you have can either be on one side towards leaning towards love or leaning towards the other side towards fear. And it's just a matter of degree. So the underlying question you want to come to, if it's a a not-so-nice feeling or a mucky-muck feeling, as I like to say, is what am I afraid of? What am I afraid is true about this? And this is a very important distinction, that when we have a knee-jerk response to somebody, either in anger or we're hurt, our heart feels wounded, is that Something in the action, something in the behavior confirmed something I believe about myself that I fear is true, yet I don't admit it. In fact, I don't want anybody to admit it. And when it comes out, it hurts me. 
but it it may not come out you know publicly like that verbatim or anyone saying that you're not enough it the behavior just needs to indicate that it's possible that that could be true and of course when my assessment of Janet missing the deadline was she did it because she didn't respect me she didn't respect her word I was not important enough for her to keep her word. You see, these feelings, these generalized feelings of I'm not enough, I'm not good enough, I'm not lovable, uh, I'm discardable, nobody wants me, it might be worthiness, I don't deserve it. So when anything comes up in our life that seems to confirm these false beliefs or these ideas that we have about ourselves that we don't want to be true, that we fear are true, it hurts. And this is why it also especially hurts when it's somebody that we respect, somebody we know. Now, if Joe Blow on the street or or Janet on the street did something to invalidate us or to, we basically probably just play it off like, oh, they're an idiot. But it's someone that loves you or says they love you and you respect them. And they do something that brings up the idea that you're not worthy, you're not lovable, you're not worth it, you're not deserving, that's what hurts. That wounds us because it confirms our worst fear about us. Not that it's true, not that it's fact, it's our perception that is true. Now, it's important to point out that these generalized feelings of not being enough, not lovable enough, not worthy, deserving, not good enough, These all come from your childhood. The origin of these came from your childhood. For better or worse, you had novice trainers as parents. They were doing the best they could with the resources they had, which may or may not have been that good. But the assessment that you made, what you made it mean about yourself, came from the perspective of a seven-year-old or an eight-year-old. You didn't yet have the intellectual capacity to understand that your parents did not know everything. They weren't perfect. They were far from perfect. But because of the things they said, and oftentimes they were very well-meaning, well-intentioned, but the way it came out is that you had a lot to measure up to. You weren't enough, and possibly other things. Now, I can dive deep into this. There's a lot to be said about it. But just know that these assessments that you made is because that a seven or eight or nine-year-old asked the question, what does this behavior mean about me? What do these comments mean about me? And so you developed a hypothesis, and then it was confirmed probably in adolescence. And then it was set in stone in adulthood. Something happened where it was confirmed, oh my God, it's true. But it's not true. It's just that you developed a hypothesis on why things were the way they were, why the world was the way it was. And as you went along through life, you gathered evidence to support your hypothesis. Remember the reticular activating system. Once you begin looking at it, you're entertaining a particular question. Your other than conscious mind starts to sort your environment for information and events and circumstances that validate your mindset, your question. And then once you gather enough evidence, this hypothesis that you just sort of suspected was true, you're suddenly at a point where you're convinced it's true, even though there are counterexamples to it. 
you live it as if it's true. And every time it comes up in conversation or someone, you know, some event comes up, someone does something that reminds you that it's true, that's what hurts. So don't take the shortcut. Don't go here immediately. Go through the process, even though you understand at the bottom of it, these feelings of anger, frustration, disappointment usually have its origins or it's connected to this generalized feeling that you've adopted from childhood in some regards that you're not enough. So in the context of this process, the way we circumvent those generalized feelings of insufficiency is by putting practices in place, putting boundaries in place, rules in place, behaviors in place that reflect the opposite of that feeling. You are enough. You are to be respected. But I need to add this. Every time you create a boundary or create a rule, it's not necessarily for other people. It's more for you on what you will tolerate and what you won't tolerate. For instance, in the context of my example with Janet, I put those practices in place. I put the benchmarks in place, the checkpoints. And if she continually shows up to where she doesn't keep her word, then I may need to reassess her being in that position or me relying on her to fulfill on that agreement. But what shifted in that is that I'm not blaming her for not respecting me. I'm blaming her for not showing up the way she said she would. Now, I want to use another example, a different example about worry, because a lot of people worry about things. They're fearful about that something will happen or somebody won't come through. And so with worry, we do something a little bit different. I don't think it's worthwhile to spend any time wallowing in the feeling of worry. But we do want to honor it because at some level, it is a valid feeling. There is a valid fear that's there. So we need to address the fear and pacify it or take action to remedy it. Now, it is here that I want to remind you about the four types of events. I'm assuming that you've listened to every one of the podcasts, but I'll revisit it just in case. There's four types of events in life. There are things that you can control and you do. No stress. There are things that you cannot control and you don't even try. No stress. There are things that you can control, but you don't. That's stressful. There are things that you cannot control, but you think you should. High stress. When we invest time in worrying, in fear, typically it's investing our energy in things that we cannot control. Worst case scenarios. What types of things can you not control? One, you cannot control other people's feelings and decisions. You cannot control group actions, say governments or city or family type dynamics. For instance, you know, if you have kids, sometimes they do things that are contrary to their upbringing. You can't even imagine why they're doing or would do that, yet you can't control their behavior. Ideally, hopefully, you could guide it, you know, put them in a position where they would learn to think for themselves. But in the words of Khalil Gibran, children come through you, not from you, like arrows slung by a bow. Sometimes people worry about relationships ending, intimate relationships, married relationships, 
ending. Or they think about getting fired. You know, some type of relationship ending. Again, whether it ends or not may not be within your control. So in the context of our process, let's skip over the time period for processing and just start processing. If the worst case scenario happened, like imagine the worst case scenario, the thing you fear most happens, like the thing you worry about. What if it happens? What would that mean about you? And then, is that absolutely true? Is that the universal truth? Is there no other explanation than that? You can probably come up with at least a dozen different explanations on why someone would leave a relationship, and they have nothing to do with you, everything to do with them. I mean, you would be impacted by it, but their rationalization or their cause for it arose in them. You might be doing everything right, and it still turned out not the way you want. The next question is, if the worst case scenario does happen, what can you control? You can control your response. How would you, could you respond in a way that's empowering? What actions could you take? What would be the process of healing? Now, you don't need to figure out every detail. In fact, it might be counterproductive to think about it in that depth. But if you can arrive at the conclusion that if a situation was to end, that you could continue on, that you would begin again, shift and pivot and take a different approach. And then, with respect to your current situation, what things could you put in place? What actions could you take on to assure that you're doing everything that you can inside the relationship, inside the partnership, inside your career, inside your job? Whatever situation you're worried about. Now, we could also say that you're thinking about going off on your own, starting your own venture. What's the worst case scenario? Could you handle it? Could you adapt? Could you make course adjustments along the way? See, I've had to make thousands of course adjustments over the last 30 years. I've lost tons of money. I've made lots of money. Every little misstep I've had with a client in the past, I've put things in place so it never, ever happens again. So again, if you didn't catch it, what can you control? There are events you can control and you do. There are events that you cannot control and you shouldn't try. All your source in grief typically comes from events that you think you can control, people that you think you can control, but you can't. So let me bring this to a close by summing up all the steps. Number one, you want to acknowledge the feeling. What happened, and as a result, this is how you feel. Validate your feeling. Then give yourself the space to honor the feeling. Give yourself an appropriate amount of time to work through it. And I know I didn't say this specifically, but express the feeling. Write the letter, complain, yell into a pillow, you know, go for a walk, move your body. And then once you settle on a time frame to process the feeling, see if you can bargain it down. What's the least amount of time that you can spend on this and still honor your feelings, validate your feelings? And then through this processing period, we ask some questions. The first of which is which need or want went unfulfilled? And another way to ask it is if everything worked out, what need or want would have been met? The next question is what did I make this mean about me? Like, why am I really angry? 
why am I really feeling hurt? Like, what is it? What does it verify? What is the fear, the belief that is verified that I don't want to be true that seems to be validated here? And then we challenge that. Is this absolutely true? Ultimately, is it the ultimate truth? Is there no other explanation for this behavior, for the way things transpired, other than the fact that it validated, but I'm not enough, or something like that? I'm reminded of a story that Stephen Covey told about a paradigm shift. He's talked about how he was sitting on a subway car reading the paper. And at one of the stops, a man got on with several small children. And the children started running around and making noise, basically being a bunch of animals. But the guy just sat there, just kind of staring off into space. And Stephen Covey sat there reading the paper, but all this noise, all this racket began to annoy him. And he began making this judgment that this man was not controlling his kids. So finally, he couldn't stand anymore. And Covey put the paper down and leaned in and asked the man, don't you think you could do something about your kids, about your children? And the man kind of like was woke up. He was in this trance state and looked around and goes, oh, um, yeah, I, I guess they just don't know how to handle it. I don't know how, how to handle it. We just left the hospital and their their mother just died. Um, I don't know what to do. They probably don't know what to do. And suddenly, Stephen Covey, with this paradigm shift, this different perspective, had compassion. I, he was totally, oh, I understand. There's no, no worries. You see, we never know what somebody else is going through, what they're dealing with, how they're handling it or not handling it. We just assume that it's all about us. Well, it's not. And just like I said in episode 108 in The No Fault Life, don't take it personally. And then to end the process, we reclaim our power. We exercise our ultimate freedom, and that is to choose our response. And this is in the context of what can you control? Well, you can control your boundaries, your communication, your response, the rules, and actions that take place from this point forward. And it is this process that invalidates our deepest fear. Well, my friend, I would love to hear how this works for you, how you utilize it, any sticking points that you experience, any breakthroughs that you experience. I want to hear it all. Mastering your emotions is one of the greatest skills that you can take on as a human being. So I created a cheat sheet or a worksheet with all the steps on here to process an emotion honorably. You can find that at yesdaniel.com backslash 89. Yesdaniel.com backslash 89. And again, the link is in the show notes. My email address is support at danov.com. You can also reach me in our Facebook group, the Align Self Podcast Listeners Facebook group. Now, when you answer the questions on how did you hear about the Facebook group, the answer is the secret handshake is I heard it on the podcast. Until next time, this is your host and friend, Daniel Danovi, urging you to follow your bliss, live your life from inner signals, be inner directed as you live the epic adventure. (laughs) 